Holy New Year. That, that's the way you get to a happy New Year, a, a holy New Year. Well, good morning and God bless you. I can see the weatherman didn't scare you away this morning, huh? Sometimes when you hear those weather reports, it's like, oh my goodness, we're going to die. But we survived. Hallelujah. Uh, if you uh, on your bulletins there, notice um, there's an announcement. Uh, we're going to begin this month as we uh, do every year. Uh, oftentimes we start with like a, a week of prayer and fasting. Uh, but we're just going to, uh, we want to initiate this year with a month of prayer, 30 days of prayer. And so we're asking you to join with us. Um, we're going to each week put a major theme in there, okay? And as you can see uh, in, uh, in this week, the, the, did it, was it mentioned in there? Basically, we're praying for the church this week and um, all these different, uh, as you'll see the, the insert there, uh, there's a number of major themes there as we pray for the church. You can fill in your minor themes. Uh, certainly, we don't want to limit your prayer life, but we want to at least give you some idea, because a lot of times we say, well, pray for the church, but well, well, what do we pray for specifically? We don't know. Uh, so this gives you some uh, rough um, thumbnail sketch uh, of what you can be praying for this week. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, we, need, we always need prayer, right? But I think uh, uh, it's a great opportunity for us to just sort of connect our hearts together in concert, you know, just praying for the Lord to bless these specific areas. Um, and so next week, uh, we'll, we'll uh, suggest uh, another major theme. Um, but with that, uh, let's turn. We are now uh, moving into, and hopefully today, concluding our fourth chapter here in the book of Revelation. And John writing, if you'll follow along, I'll read chapter 4, verse 1. And after these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper. And a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold upon their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures who were full of eyes in front and in the back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature like the face of a lion, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, 
The four and twenty elders also fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you are created, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Let's pray. Lord, we, <clears throat> we look to you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, you've given us this book, and you tell us, Lord, you remind us that there's a special blessing. As we study this book, as we read it, but Lord, more importantly, as we obey it. And I pray, Father, that as we look at chapter 4 today, that you would teach us out of this. Lord, as we get a glimpse here into heaven, and Lord, as we look at here, these things are put for us in symbolic form. Lord, help us, we pray, to interpret these things. Lord, help us, I pray, as we read about heaven in chapters 4 and 5, that we would have a growing uh, Lord, appreciation for the things of heaven. Lord, we realize uh, we become so earthbound, Lord, so focused on the material things that we forget, Lord, uh, that there is a heaven to be gained. And so give us, we pray, those insights uh, according, Lord, to your will for each one of us, Lord. Help us, we pray. Let there be something for each one of us that would enter into our hearts and minds. And, Lord, to, to bring hope and inspiration and encouragement. Uh, so, Father, we praise you. We thank you. We bless you. Uh, we ask you, Lord, to take your word, to speak, Lord, those words of life. Speak into us. Lord, uh, you said that your word is spirit and it's life. And, Father, I pray as we meditate upon it today that, Lord, it would, Lord, awaken in us, that it would instill within us, Lord, that that life-giving flow of your spirit. Lord, we commit this time to you. And Father, also, I, I pray that as we, Lord, embark upon this new year with all of its challenges, Lord, all of its opportunities, Lord, uh, we don't know what a day, much, le more, much less a, a year, bring forth. And I pray that, Lord, uh, whatever is before us, that you'd equip us. And, and you have a way of doing that, Lord. You have a way as we trust you and look to you and lean upon you. You have a way of equipping us, Lord, for whether they be the challenges of a day or whatever might be before us this year. And Lord, this may be the year. This may be the year where you come. Lord, this very event that we read about in chapter 4 may be an event that may be on your schedule for us this year. If that be so, Lord, uh, may we live in the light of your truth. Lord, may we always be, be ready. Lord, ready for you, waiting for you. Lord, looking to you. So, Lord, meet with us now, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, in chapter uh, 1, uh, we see uh, basically the, the three parts of Revelation there that are communicated to us. Uh, the things that uh, basically were past, the things that are present, and the things that are future. Uh, in chapters 2 and 3, we saw the things that were important, very relevant to the church for the church age. But now as we move into chapter 4, uh, we see basically there a picture. We're getting a glimpse. Uh, we're looking into the future and what God wants to see. You know, it's amazing how oftentimes people want to know so much about the future, their personal future. And, and I grew up in a home uh, where, where my mother was very influenced by the occult. And one of the things about the occult is you want to try to find out what's, you know, that's what, that's what a horoscope is about, basically. Um, 
you know, what, what, you know a, a, any given day or, or a time period, what it holds. But, a, but for the most part, uh, it, it's really a, a deception. Um, and it's only as we really understand, as we look at the Word of God, do we really understand what the future holds. And, and the picture that we get is a picture that warns us about what is to take place. Um, and the most important thing for us, you know, relative to the future, uh, and whatever it is that we have to face is to be in Christ, to be in him, because that's the protection, that's the blessing that you and I have. But as we come to chapter 4, and uh, we're, we're introduced to uh, after these things, and it's, it's the after the things of the church period, it's the, it's the very future, uh, and, and, it's, and it speaks very specifically, uh, as we saw in chapter 2 and 3, to the church age, which spanned 2,000 years. But as we get into chapter 6 through chapter 19, that period is going to cover a very shortened period because it's a period of extreme judgment upon the world. And God, in his grace and mercy, uh, this door, this, this age of grace uh, has been 2,000 years long, and it hasn't ended yet. Uh, who knows? This could be the very year uh, where it comes to maybe an abrupt end. We don't know that, um, but it's, we, we know we're getting very close to the Lord's return. Um, but the seven-year period uh, that we find described in chapter 6 through chapter 19, God shortens that period of judgment because God's gracious and he's mer merciful. Now, as we look at chapter 4, verse 1, the scene ver uh, changes rather quickly here from the church period and moves us into a heavenly scenario. Uh, and what takes place in chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, it's basically signifying the rapture of the church. John personifies that. John is per personifying the church here. Uh, as it simply departs from the earth, and, it, and as John finds himself in heaven, uh, there's going to come that day when you and I are going to hear that same thing come up here. Uh, we're going to hear it, it's probably going to coincide with the trumpet, and uh, it's going to be uh, the very final call for the church. We're going to be taken out of here, uh, and as the scripture tells us over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, that we are going to be just sort of snatched up violently uh, in, in a moment, in, in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, there's not going to be any time at that point. Uh, I'm going to go run and tell, finally tell my family about the Lord. I'm sorry, it's just going to be, you got to do that now. We have to do that now. We need to focus on that now of really communicating, you know, who Jesus Christ is. And, and, and what we see here is for the church, there is a wonderful escape escape from that time of judgment that is coming upon uh, the earth and upon the world. And it says in verse 1, after these things, the church things, the time of that, that period, that time frame, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me and saying, come up here and I will show you, show you things which must take place after this. And uh, so here John, as he departs from the earth, he arrives in heaven. Again, it's typical of what's going to take place with the church. We're going to hear something, again, very similar to that. And what John sees, no other prophet um, within the, you know, in, in the whole uh, biblical period uh, was allowed to see this and report it. Now, remember Paul said he was conveyed to the third heaven, which is a spiritual heaven. Okay, you have the, the sky, which is the first heaven. Uh, then you have space, which is the second heaven, and you have all the different spheres, troposphere, ionosphere, and so on and so forth. Uh, but the third heaven that the Bible speaks about is the spiritual heaven. And, uh, and uh, remember Paul says when he visited the third heaven that it, there were things there he could not say 
In other words, he saw things, but he simply could not say. That's why sometimes, uh, I, and I think any of us should have a, 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 a great struggle with some of these books that are written about all the things that people say they've seen. They've seen more than the Apostle Paul. And I'll tell you what, uh, I, I think you better be very, very careful with that. Uh, when someone says they got more revelation than the Apostle Paul, I, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of scary. It's really extra biblical, um, you know, so-called, uh, you know, insights, or as they would perhaps maybe call it revelation. Um, I think we need to be very careful about that. I, I do think that there are some people that maybe um, have, have died and the Lord has sent them back. They may have some, um, you know, some things that they want to maybe share about that. But I, I, I find, I find, I'm very skeptical of those who write all these big, lengthy books about what they saw in heaven, um, uh, and particularly when the Apostle Paul, um, having the, in the Bible indicating that he had, he had great revelation, that he was not really allowed to communicate uh, pretty much most of what he saw, uh, very little of what he saw. But John here, uh, more than any prophet in all, uh, you know, all of church history, and um, biblical history, rather, um, is able to, he's allowed to, to report that. And we see that here uh, in this particular book. And one thing that you will not find in, you know, as you move from chapters 2 and 3 all the way, as you move through this time of judgment in chapters 4, you will not find one mention of the church because the church is not on the earth. And you have to understand that. The only mention that we see of the church, the actual term church, is in chapter 22. I think it might be verse 16. But in chapter 19, we see Jesus re in, in his second advent, his return to the earth, him coming back with the armies of heaven. Well, the term church is not mentioned there, but we believe that is the church that has been raptured. Uh, and, and, of course, the saints that have been raptured, you know, uh, 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 you know within the church age that have been raptured will be coming back with him. Um, but I think um, it's important to realize that the church is not going to be here. We're going to be raptured out. And just like we see in Thessalonians and also in Corinthians, uh, we see here in the beginning of Re Revelation chapter 4, uh, John speaking of this very thing and personifying that. Um, and again, you and I, uh, our vantage point during the tribulation will be from heaven. But I don't think that we're going to be taken up with all the things that are going to be happening on the earth. I think we'll be aware of that, okay? Um, I, I think that uh, there's going to be um, a special meeting that we have with the Lord. Um, let's call it the Bema Seat, okay? It's an award ceremony, all right? That we're going to be, um, during that time, we're not just going to be hanging over the precipice of heaven, biting our fingernails, worrying about our relatives that are on earth at this particular time. I think we'll be aware of all that. Um, but the fact of the matter is we'll be taken up more with what's taking place in heaven uh, as we arrive there um, and we spend time with our, with our Lord, with our Savior. I think it'll be nothing for us to just simply gaze upon him for a year or two or three, uh, and it'll probably seem perhaps maybe like moments. Um, and I think that I think it's going to happen because, again, when you go into heaven, there is no time. It seems like we're going to get there. We're going to have our meeting with the Lord, and before you know it, it's time to return. Um, I don't think we're, going, we're not going to have these things anymore to worry about. You know, is it time to go back yet? And uh, time to get up and time to do that. We're not going to have to worry about that. And that's one of the things that probably, to me, is going to make heaven heaven. No more schedules. Um, 
and, uh, and the craziness sometimes. Uh, not that we won't be busy. Uh, we, we will be serving. There'll be no doubt about that. There'll be many things to do, uh, but uh, we're not going to be tied to, uh, you know, some rigorous schedule and, and time thing like we are uh, here on earth. Now, in verse 2, you know, we no longer live in this age of thrones and kingdoms and kings and so forth. Uh, yet there is one throne, and we see it here in chapter 4, that all mankind is going to pay homage to. Uh, immediately he says, I was in the Spirit, <clears throat> and behold, a throne in heaven, uh, and one who sat upon the throne. And, and this is that throne that everyone will eventually bow down, they will surrender themselves to, and for the people of God, for the saints of God, we will praise him, we will adore him, we will honor him, we will worship him. Um, there will be those, you know, the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. But every heart will not be worshipful. There will be those that will bow basically in submission, uh, in a forced submission to God. Uh, and that's why it's important that now, here and presently, that we surrender our lives to him. That, that we, you know, we bow our, our life in a sense. We bow down before him. We honor him. Uh, but there's many people, you know, because of self-will and pride and independence, and it's like, you know, I, yeah, I know I need God kind of a thing, but uh, I'll wait to the very last minute. And uh, I, I'll wait to an opportune time or whatever the case may be. Uh, and I think, I think there'll be many people like that that have been witness to. Uh, that is, God is going to save, um, but uh, it's going to happen for them during the tribulation period. Um, and one of the things that I always say, if you can't live for Christ now, how are you going to die for him then? Uh, because there's a lot of people that are going to pay that price uh, there's going to be an incredible amount of martyrdom uh, that takes place during this seven-year period uh, in which we're going to embark upon as we get to chapter 6 and that tier uh, that we've been alluding to. So a throne set in heaven and one sat upon the throne. You know, modern man doesn't like thrones. There's something about a throne that communicates there's an authority of laws. There's moral absolutes. Uh, and when it comes to authority, and particularly, you know, when you, and that's why pretty much we have thrown out kings and, you know, we, and like when you look at the queen uh, over there in England, uh, it's just a figurehead. Uh, she doesn't really have any power. The power basically resides, uh, you know, they go to the queen with certain questions and that sort of thing. And she gives her, you know, her, um, her nod in, a, in an official protocol kind of a way. Uh, but it's, the, it's Parliament that basically, basically makes the decisions. And I was kind of wondering, you know, uh, how many thrones there are still and kingdoms there are around the world. There's about 28. There's still about 28. Most of them are in, in, in the Middle East or are over in Asia. But there's something, you know, within, you know, the heart of mankind where we don't like that kind of, we don't like thrones because they represent authority. They symbolize a, an authority. Uh, and, and the whole idea, too, also of God and moral restraints to us is sort of, it's, it's abhorrent. Uh, many people just, you know, they don't like that whole idea. And if sometimes, you know, somebody does embrace God in a sort of, a, a rec just sort of recognizing his deity, and we call that a deist, uh, oftentimes people may recognize that, uh, but not really in a sense where it impacts the moral uh, condition of their life. Because there's something abhorrent, you know, in the sinful human nature of man, uh, where the Bible tells us very simply that we're at war with God. And Jesus Christ, as the, the Prince of Peace, he has come and he has brokered a peace, you know, for us. And as we receive the Prince of Peace into our life, we, we discover all of a sudden that war with God stops. 
And all of a sudden, we've got another war on our hands, don't we? And that's with the, the kingdom of darkness. Um, but again, we, we find that uh, there is this issue, you know, deep within the hearts uh, of our, of our uh, culture and of our society. Uh, and, and the thing is about it, too, is that we, we find, don't we find more and more this demand for moral freedom, sexual freedom? You know, I don't want any kind of authority upon my life. Don't tell me, you know, what to do. Um, you know, it's, it's, I find it very sad and disturbing, very disturbing, that there's this resist movement against our government. Uh, it, it, just, it just underscores the rebellion, um, you know, in our government because of, you know, the hatred, the hatred people have for the President of the United States. I, I think it's very sad. Um, and when I see these bumper stickers, resist, and, you, and, you, and, you, and it doesn't matter what, you know, uh, our president, because the president, whether they like him or not, he represents the authority. And there needs to be the respect for the institution and, and for the office. And, and what we see there in, in the hearts is just, it's basically that whole rebellion, whether it's manifested in a spiritual rebellion against God or a political rebellion. Um, and that's why it's so important, I think, that we pray for our, 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 our nation, for our country. But the fact is that we find that there, there's something within the, the very human, within, deep within human nature uh, that we simply, we don't want any authority over our life. We don't want to have to, we don't want some kind of moral constraint upon our life. We want to be free. But, we want, but also, too, in that kind of freedom without any moral constraints, uh, people don't want any consequences. But there are consequences that come as a result of moral actions uh, that are committed. You know, we, we see in our culture how people want to be their own authority. But, it's, but, but isn't it interesting how that uh, when it comes to one person making up the rules for their life, they're constantly moving the border. It, it's, a constant, it's, it's a constantly moving target. Um, you know, as far as, you know, what a person allows in their life or what they allow, you know, what they want to see take place, you know, in the culture. The fact is there are serious consequences when there's no submission, you know, to the, to the moral absolutes that God puts, you know, places before. The, when you look at the law of Moses, it's, that's what basically it is. When you look at the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, somebody may say, well, they only apply toward the Jew. No, they don't. Uh, they're basically moral laws that apply toward all of mankind. And that's why God judges nations when those nations do not line up uh, with, you know, the moral absolutes, you know. And God is gracious. He allows a, a nation to go so far. Um, uh, he, you know, uses the church within a nation, hopefully to bring a reviving, to bring, bring a renewal, to bring uh, a change. And sometimes that has happened. Um, but there, again, there's this, there's this thing deep within the hearts and lives of people where basically they don't want anyone uh, to tell them what to do. But you know, when people violate physical laws, there's consequences. You put your hand in a fire, okay? It burns. Uh, when you jump out a 10-story window, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts seriously when you, when, you, when, you, when, you know, when you finally hit the bottom. Uh, I was looking at an, uh, an old adage uh, that what happens when the unstoppable when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object, and it kind of when I was thinking about that, you know, what happens when this unstoppable force meets an immovable object? 
Uh, I, I'm always, I think of the guys that sort of jump off the mountains with a squirrel suit on. Uh, do you ever see the little winged outfit? And they're going down the canyons like 100 miles an hour. And, uh, and, and eventually, it's only a matter of time before, you know, they hit the immovable object. And, uh, and there's not much left, you know, when, at, when you're flying in that kind of a, um, you know, that, that kind of a situation without any, any protection. And you hit a mountain, you know, roughly at 100 miles an hour. Um, and it's so typical of our culture, isn't it, to think that there's no consequences or I can kind of handle this. Uh, the fact of the matter is, you know, we need, you know, we need God. We, we need, you know, we need the authority of God over our lives. You know, we need his word in our lives. We need his truth. We need it to guide us and direct us. And even though uh, people hate a throne, they will basically surrender eventually to a throne. Even if it isn't God's throne, they will, they will basically surrender eventually to another throne. Now, in verse 3, these, these stones here that we find, um, uh, John telling us about, he who sat on the throne was like a jasper, a sardius stone, uh, and an emerald, and also to a rainbow sort of encircula, or circulating, rather, encircling, rather, um, the throne. Uh, a biblical jasper, as we're told later in Revelation, is actually clear as crystal, so it's a, probably a very um, um, high-grade diamond. Uh, sardius stone is sort of blood red. It's a ruby. Uh, uh, you know, the, the diamond speaking of God the Father, uh, the ruby speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, the emerald speaking of the Holy Spirit, uh, and, and again, this, this uh, rainbow encompassing the throne, uh, simply reminding us, the, remain, the, the rainbow is a reminder, uh, and here this is a reminder of God's blessing, God's protection, God's hand you know, upon our life, and even, even God's blessing to the world when you think about it. Uh, there's tremendous blessing, and that's why people think, you know, uh, as we're under just this period of great grace and blessing, that there'll never be judgment. Uh, because many people think, well, God would never do that. And, and yet it's interesting because when I look at this book of Revelation and the Bible itself, uh, that the Bible re reminds us that no person, no person, no culture uh, will really have an excuse because here for 20 centuries, God has been communicating his truth uh, to the world. And so there's an, uh, uh, it's important as we hear truth uh, that, we, that we obey it. And that's why I think it's important for the church that the church needs to be vocal. We need to be vocal uh, individually. Yes, yeah, we at Calvary Chapel Webster, we have a radio program on. But I'll tell you what, that doesn't free us individually um, from the responsibility of sharing the gospel. We, we need to do that. There are, there are people in your sphere of influence and in your circle of friends that you become the gospel to them. Your life, you know, your relationship, your friendship, that's at some point, not that you have to beat people in the head with the Bible, um, but I think sometimes we go the other way. Uh, in such a fear of saying anything at all, we say nothing. So I think it's very important that as God has given us these, this fear of, act, of influence, uh, you know, some people have a bigger circle than others. But we need to make sure that we're communicating to those around us about Jesus Christ and about what's going on and how, you know, as we, as we consider, uh, you know, how, how long will it be before the Lord comes? Uh, how long will it be before we are taken out of here? Um, and I remember back in the 70s, uh, the whole matter of prophecy. 
was so integral, so important to the church as God was pouring out a spirit on the church in a fresh new way in the 1970s, how prophecy became something so relevant. Uh, and people kind of, we're relating to it, connecting with it, and people are getting saved by the fact that people were, other people were sharing prophecy. And remember the one book, and it wasn't even totally, absolutely accurate, but it was the late great planet Earth. And many people were reading that book and getting fired up and excited because they were getting some prophetic truth, you know, into their lives. And many people turn, you know, to the Savior. Now, in, in verse uh, 4 and 5, we find some other thrones uh, in this picture. Uh, who are they? Uh, we are not sure exactly who they are. Uh, most scholars agree that they are, you know, these patriarchal figures. Uh, they are 12 people. Um, 12 patriarchs from the 12 tribes of Israel and also um, the, the, the 12 apostles. Uh, I was reading one uh, author that I do clearly respect um, and, and he was thinking that these, these were 24 angels. Uh, I, I don't get that. I, I don't get that whatsoever. Um, uh, there, there's going to be angels in heaven, no doubt about it, uh, but these elders here, I think they represent the, the, the tribes of Israel, and also the church in the sense of the apostles. And these are thrones and crowns that are basically given for a faithful life. Uh, the tremendous great rewards uh, that are given. I've, uh, <clears throat> you know, sometimes when you read these things, and you read perhaps in the New Testament, we are talking about this before, earlier in Revelation, about the thrones, and, uh, or excuse me, about the crowns. And there are five crowns that we find in the Bible. And... Um, What's your thoughts about that for yourself? Do you hope to have a crown? Um, I hope so. But I'm afraid I'll probably be running around. You'll see me with a little beanie with a propeller on the top. Um, I'm, 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 I'm kind of hoping I'll have a crown, but I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not set on that. Uh, if, if there is one there, I'll be glad to take it. And then in verse 5, we, we see here sights and sounds that are basically resonating from the throne. And what these are, um, he, we're told, uh, lightnings, thunderings, voices, seven lamps of fire uh, that are burning before the throne. Now, these are basically symbolic of power, and they represent judgment, because right here, as, we, as this little interlude between the church age and chapter 6, when the tribulation starts, uh, this is the turning point of God's dealings with man. The age of grace is over. And now it's going to be a time of judgment like the world has never seen. And, and as we move into chapter 6, it will begin. And again, we see here a, a warning, a warning that eventually it will come. Uh, even though, you know, a lot of people think that uh, because they don't believe in God or heaven, that it's not going to happen. Like it's never going to happen because they don't believe it. Um, boy, are they going to be surprised. Man, people are going to be tremendously shocked, aren't they? Uh, when all of a sudden they have to face the reality of, oh, my, my, that's what my father told me. I remember, I remember reading that in the Bible. And many people are going to be sadly shocked and awakened. Uh, it won't be too late in the tribulation. But I'll tell you what, uh, I would not want to be in that period. I would not want to have to suffer and navigate through that period um, you know, as a believer. Many people will. Many people, I believe, some of our, many of our loved ones, 
uh, that have heard us and you know okay mom top stop telling me about the bible dad how many times are you going to preach to me i don't want to hear it anymore <clears throat> and it's going to be a very rude awakening you know for them and we see the beginning of that here with these lightnings thunderings and voices now the throne also too has some some interesting creatures in attendance uh, we're told in verse 6 uh, through 8, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. In the midst of the throne, around the throne, were four living creatures who were full of eyes in front and back. And again, it's very hard to perceive. I've seen sometimes depictions, um, you know, drawings of uh, some of these um, things that John had seen in the Revelation. And uh, they seem kind of bizarre. I, I think we'll be able to maybe when we first see it, we'll be able to understand it. But again, many of the things that we see here are symbolic kind of things. Um, and the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like a calf. Uh, maybe your translation says ox. And I think that perhaps maybe that might be a little more accurate. The third living creature like the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Now what we're seeing here is cherubim. What we're seeing is angels. And obviously, there are different classifications of angels. Uh, the Bible tells us there's seraphim and there's cherubim. These here obviously are cherubim. And I think that these different features that they have, uh, they, symbolize, you know, they symbolize their character. You know, their eyes perhaps maybe speak of discernment and knowledge. Uh, the line here, you know, power and might, the ox. Uh, one thing, an interesting characteristic about an ox is very submissive to authority. And you see that here. You, you see that with these angelic beings. Uh, also, too, as a man, one had a face like a man, uh, speaking about intelligence. Also, to an eagle, we see that as a representation, as a symbol. Uh, and like an eagle, these angels, are, they fly very swiftly in obedience to do the Lord's will. And so when we look at these creatures, and we learn a little bit as you read through the Bible, uh, there was one angel that slew 186,000 men in one night. Um, you know, these are not the naked little baby-faced cherubs that we find on Christmas cards. I mean, these guys are a very impressive, um, you know, individual. And uh, <clears throat> remember we saw when we opened up Revelation that every church has an angel. And that's why we only have one. We only need one. When you look at the tremendous power, um, you know, of these creatures and of these beings that God has created. And uh, verse 8 says, the four living creatures, each had six wings, were full of eyes uh, all around and within. Uh, you know, Star Wars has nothing on the Bible. When you look at uh, some, of these, some of these depictions and descriptions. Uh, they do not rest day or night, uh, saying, holy, holy holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. One of the things that we see about these particular creatures here, that we find them over in chapter 6, and we find them summoning uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And so they have, they have, they have, they have uh, key places, we'll find them. I was reading, I think, in chapter 16 uh, this week, we find them um, also to these same four creatures. We find them giving the bowls. Remember, there are different series of judgments, and there's the bull judgments, or if your Bible says the vile judgments, we find these angels handing uh, other angels these bowls of wrath to be poured out uh, upon the world. 
Now, another thing, too, as we, as we look at this here, um, and, you know, as we begin to gaze toward heaven, as we look toward heaven, we find our place, our purpose, we find meaning in life. As we begin to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what, you know, it draws us in. Uh, it, it gives us inspiration to love him, to want to be like him, to be near him, to want him in our life. Uh, and as, you know, we draw close in worship, and that's one of the things that we see here as we're introduced to heaven. We see this, this and again, introduced to simply the, the beauty of worship, that, that heaven is a place of worship. Now, it's not the only thing we're going to be doing, but I think it's one of the integral things, the important things that we'll be doing in heaven. And we see that here. Uh, and, and I think, you know, when you talk about worship, it's something that we enter into here. I, I don't know. Um, sometimes I wonder how important worship is to certain Christians. You know, sometimes as we're in a worship service, and again, uh, I think that limits the term, because I think that, you know, our song service is not, it, it is a worship service, but we're worshiping now as well. We're, we're worshiping as we, you know, open our lives to his word. But I, I notice oftentimes in a song service that, that, that there are people that just simply, they don't worship. And, uh, and it's a great loss, I think. It, it's a tremendous loss. Uh, for us. Uh, it's important, I think, you know, and I know that you can't really worship until you know the Lord. You, you simply cannot. It, it's, it's like an ability you don't have. Um, and maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the problem why some people don't worship, because maybe the Lord is not quite, you know, in their heart as of yet. But there's something, there's something transformational about worship. When we come into the presence of God, and you know what, it isn't, doesn't just happen here. It can happen you know, in your home, you know, each and every morning when you spend time with the Lord and you're praying or you're reading your Bible, or, or sometimes you can be just driving along. I can remember one time I was driving along and I'm singing and I started worshiping and I found myself closing my eyes. <laughs> it's like, oh, what am I doing here? You know, and uh, I, would, I may have shortly been in the presence of the Lord. I've kept my eyes closed a little bit longer. But, uh, but worship is a beautiful thing, and, and we need to have, you know, that, you know, it's interesting that over in Acts chapter, I forget, maybe Acts chapter 4 it might be, uh, but it said that he sent refreshing, you know, to God's people from the presence of the Lord, and that's the thing about worship. Um, it's, it's sort of entering in to God's presence, and again, it just doesn't happen here. It can happen for us anywhere we are. Uh, it, it's it's a it's a it's a I think a state of mind a state of spirit if you will, where we want to just sort of we want to just sort of focus on him we want to spend time with him and I'll tell you what it is transformational and and I don't think that you can really grow. I don't think that you can really grow without being a worshiper. And I think if we can, if we do grow I think it's 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 minimal. There's something so powerful that when we've come to know God in this relationship of, of adoration and praise and, and worship, that there's, there's, there's a transfer that takes place between heaven and your heart when you worship. And I think, you know, we, we, there's times where we seem like we really get kind of caught up in it and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but I don't think we should just wait for only those times. I think that, 
that we need to, you know, focus on the Lord where we're drawing his sustenance. We're drawing life from him. And I think that's what happens when, when, when we, you know, are in that, in that place of worship. And again, we can't worship unless we really have new life, unless the Lord is, you know, well within our heart. You know, there's a verse of Scripture that says, the dead praise not the Lord. And, and I think he's talking about the living dead uh, primarily. You can't really praise him. You can't really adore him and worship him and, and value him for all that he is unless you have the Spirit of God in you, unless you have the life of Christ in you. Because worship is simply recognition. It's recognition of who God is and, and all that he is and his awesomeness. Otherwise, it's a sort of token, you know, token gestures, token words, that sort of thing. Um, it, it has to come from a heart that's been transformed, a heart that's been changed. And again, too, I think the thing about, the thing about worship is it's ongoingly transformational. And, and we need that. We need to be constantly changed. Uh, the Bible speaks about how we're transformed into his image. Now, I don't, I, I don't, I, I, now it's certainly going to happen, you know, when we leave this life. But that verse is not talking about that. That, that verse is talking about here. It's talking about now. That we're, that we're changed from, you know, from image, you know, changing to his image from what? Glory to glory. And, and I think this whole thing of worship is so important as we focus on it, you know. When, when we just read that last verse uh, here uh, about these four living creatures, these angels, uh, they do not rest day or night uh, singing and, and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. Now, when you're thinking about them doing that, they don't rest day or night. Uh, many people look at it and say, Wow, how boring. <laughs> how boring. Oh, what a tough job to have. Uh, listen, to worship him is a privilege. What a great honor. Um, I, I think that when you and I stand before the Lord, we're not going to want to get out of that aura. We're not going to want to get out of that presence. It's going to be so wonderful, so attractive, so special, so illuminating, so magnetic that we're never going to want to leave it. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. One of the things, there's a number of things here, three different things regarding worship, that when we worship and center on him, it sets us free from self. It sets us free from ego. It sets us free from the things that make us self-centered because naturally the human heart is self-centered. We, we wake up in the morning and it's like, you know, We've got, we've got desires, and, uh, and uh, sometimes those things just drive us. You know, we, we have the thing that, called, that we refer to as drives, different kind of drives that the body has. But, you know, when we worship, on, we worship him and we focus upon him, that's why we talk about devotions as something that we need to be doing every day. And, and devotions, I remember when I first, being a cat, coming from a Catholic background, uh, when I first, you know, got saved and began to read the Bible and so forth, um, I hear this term, family altar. And as a Catholic, I'm thinking, what should I do, set up this little altar kind of thing? Do you remember? Did anybody else think like that too? Okay, and you former Catholics think about that? You know, it's like, the, oh, okay, I've got to set up an altar, you know, all this little stuff, and now what do I do? <laughs> you know? um, 
but, but a, an altar is really a spiritual reference to getting before the presence of God. Reading the Bible, praying, you know, sitting before the Lord, if you will. Because the more his spirit fills us, the less self we have to deal with. The demands. Isn't it amazing? I, I don't know about you, but I get sick and tired of the demands of my human nature. It's like it never, it never has enough. It never gives up. It never stops. That's just, that's just humanity. That's human nature. And that's why we need to be filled with him instead of filled with, you know, what I want every day. Secondly, as we worship, it brings us into unity with true believer, other believers. We need that. We need to be what? Other-centered. And that's what happens when we worship. All of a sudden, you know, we're praying for other people. We're thinking about other people. We care about other people. We, we need to have those things that work in our lives. The other thing about worship, too, the third thing, is you know what? It brings clarity and truth to our minds. All of a sudden, you know, issues may be very muddled. There's a lot of decisions uh, and, and you know, situations that we're facing through the course of a week. But when we worship, when we get before the Lord, there's an amazing way of things become clarified. We begin to see the, oh, this is what I need to do. And I think a lot of folks can make the wrong decisions because they simply don't have a sense of direction or a sense of guidance. And I think worship changes that for you and I. And I think, there, again, there are decisions that not only weekly but daily that we make. We want the Lord involved in that. We, we, want, we want God. And I find, I find so often I have, I've got, I'm making you know, many different decisions through the course of a week. But as I spend time with the Lord, it eliminates confusion. And, and what happens, I think, our lives are so distracted. They're, they're so distracted by all the different things that are pulling at us that, that we need, uh, you know, we need to get in alignment with the Lord. And, and, and worship will do that. Again, um, I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'm praying. I'm praying about a certain situation. And, uh, and I usually pray in my devotional time. Uh, I, usually, I always pray first. I pray. Um, and then after I pray, I read. I get into the Bible. I can't tell you time and time and time again, really on a daily basis. As I do that, God speaks to me. God just gives clarification. You know, he gives insight. He gives direction and guidance. We need that. Also, too, <clears throat> we see in, in verse 10 uh, this group of redeemed men, uh, these 24 elders. And I want to tell you what, these are the greatest men of all time. You know, the, the world so often extols people, puts people on a pedestal. But I'll tell you what, who is really truly the greatest people of all time are God's people because they're the ones that really make a difference. And what we're seeing here is, is this is how God views things, so different from the, the, the way the world does. You know, his perspective is so utterly different. You know, the, 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 these thrones that these men will be on will be for eternity. Do you know the rewards and the crowns and, the, and you know, the adulation that you will get because of your obedience in this life will last for eternity? Everything we have in this life, it's transient, it's passing, it's temporary. You, know, you work your whole life for it. 
There have been people that have worked their whole lives, and before they even get a chance to use maybe, you know, their retirement, it's wiped out. It's gone. That's the way life is, this side of heaven. But the things that we do in obedience for Christ are the things that will be eternal. These thrones, these crowns, the rewards that you and I get, the position. There will be positions and places of authority that will be given out in eternity. They'll be given out at the Bema seat for you and for whoever else in the church age that's been faithful and obedient. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people don't care and give a hoot about that now, but they will care then. We will care then, won't we? And that's why it's important. Because everything that's done for Christ will last. All the rest of it will just fade away. So the 24 elders, they, they fall down before him who sits on the throne. They worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns uh, before the throne. And they're saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. I'm sorry. You're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist. You know, this is why we worship him. We don't worship him for what he has done for us. He's done a lot of things. But the true motive is this, who he is. He's worthy. He's worthy. I was talking to somebody about it just recently. There are people that turn from God because he's not doing what they want him to do. And, and we get that temptation too. You know, think, you know, we prayed about this, things don't go our way. I'm mad at you, God. But there are some people actually just, they, they, turn, they, 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 they just get so upset with God, they turn away. And, you know, we worship him because, you know, thank God he does wonderful things. I, I, I bless him for that. I praise him for that. But just to worship him for who he is, our great, our amazing God. If he never gave us a thing, the fact of the matter is he went to a cross and died for us. <laughs> if he never gave us one thing, his great love demonstrated in the cross. His resurrection from the dead on our behalf were justified because of his resurrection, his favor, his mercy, his goodness. And here these, this great group of men cast their crowns. Lord, you're worthy. In God's sight, these are the greatest men that ever lived. I want to follow that wisdom. I, I want to, with all my weaknesses, with all my failures, with, with all my good intentions that oftentimes don't come to fruition, Yet there's something deep within me that I apprise this. I honor this kind of a life.
I want that. And I believe that you have those same aspirations. And that's why I think it's also important. Don't let your failures, don't let your setbacks, don't let all the things in your life defeat you by thinking, well, I could never get to that place. I could never get to that place where I would be worthy of a crown or I would be some special person in heaven. So do you ever see a child in school that gives up? They just kind of drop out. They, they just kind of drop out because I, I can't do the work, you know. Um, I'm not going to try. I'm just going to kind of give up. And I think sometimes that can happen in the spiritual life because things don't always go the way we perhaps maybe hope they would go. And you know, when you look at some of these Bible characters, I am so encouraged by them. And sometimes I'm incredibly encouraged by their setbacks, by their failures, by their mistakes. Because I realize how gracious God is. You know, as we leave a year behind, let's look to the Lord and trust him to do something new in us. He's the God of new things, isn't he? And I want to encourage you that as we've been talking about worship and looking at what's going on in glory and in heaven, let's endeavor. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 4 when the subject of worship came up that this is, what, this is who the Father seeks for those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. That, that's something that's always been a part of God's agenda looking for those who will simply be worshipers. Let's, let that be our focus this year, amen? To, 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 to enter in, you know, into a, a deeper relationship of, of, of worship. Because I think, again, like I said, I think that's transformational. I, I think that's so powerful. And let's not let the failures of maybe this year or any other year. Let's, by God's grace, leave them behind. And don't be like that student who, I, well, I just, I can't measure up. I can't do the work. I remember when I was a student, I was so frustrated. Because there were certain things I couldn't understand. And I can remember that, that surrendering, giving up kind of thing. And, and I remember looking at everybody else, you know, thinking that they were so much smarter than me. I'm just simply, I can't, I just, I can't do it. I can't hack it. Uh, and you just kind of give up and you surrender. And I think there are people just like that in, in the church. Well, I can't be as holy as Joe. I can't be as spiritual as Mary. So I'm just going to go do my thing. You know what? We can do our thing 
and have God guiding us and directing us. There was a woman who raised 17 children in a little house. It was John Wesley's mother. And she loved God with all of her heart. I've got two of my grandchildren at my house right now. Quite frankly, I don't know how mothers get anything done. And those two kids are just constantly, I mean, I love them, I love them. But it's a constant, you know, <laughs> you know, they're hanging on you, loving, kissing, or they're fighting with one another. You know, it's just like one or the other thing. And Wesley's mother, when she would need time for God, she would just take her apron and throw it over her head. Can you remember your grandmother in those aprons? I remember my grandmother in those aprons. They were famous in that age. And she took her apron, she'd throw it over her head. Don't allow the craziness, the busyness, and all the things that you have to do draw you away from the Lord. Bring the Lord into whatever it is that you're doing. Because I think he'll meet you. I really do think that, that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, that we can be worshiping. Amen. Lord, help us, we pray. Help us to worship. Lord, uh, your word says that whatever we do, to do all to the glory of God. And Lord, that's worship. I pray for us, Father, for this year, that as we set aside, Lord, these next 30 days in a special way, Lord, for prayer, that, Lord, we would see great and mighty things, that we would see answers that we haven't seen. Father, I pray that you would bless your church. Bless us, Father, as we go. And help us, Lord, we pray, to live for your honor, to live for your glory. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to face the most difficult time this world has to face. But we thank you, Lord, for the, the safety and mercy that we have in Christ. Go before us, we pray, this day, this week, this year. In Jesus' name, amen.